I'd like to read again from the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 7. We're all to be the servants of God. And sometimes people get an idea that we need to bask in glory. The Lord had a word about that. He said in the Gospels, He who would be chief among you, let him be least. He would be your leader, so to speak. Let him be your minister. To some people, they think minister, well, that's a high pollution position. In America, the president has secretaries of this, that, and the other, but in Canada and some other countries, they have minister of this, a minister of that. A minister, that sounds like a pretty special, pretty high calling. Well, it is. But if you really want to know what minister means, look at the first four letters. Many. He does the little things. It's God that does the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And the minister needs to remember that just like anybody else. But sometimes the Lord is pleased and it's known only to Him why. He picks who He picks to go where as he designs. Men try to have with their machinations ways of trying to set things up. But God knows the perfect time, the perfect place, the perfect person. Amos 3.7 Surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. We read a passage of the king in Hebrews 13. Those who have spiritual care and concern. Whether you know it or not, I pray for you. I pray for the trials that you go through, the challenges that you're going to face. And I must do what the Lord tells me what to do. I'm to speak the truth in love, but not to hold back on the truth. And when you do what the Lord says, I can appreciate when John said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. It grieves me, as it infinitely more grieves the Lord, when we don't think and feel and talk and act the way we ought to. Most preachers would be rich if they had a dollar for every time somebody told them how spiritual they were. How far along they were in their Christian walk. It's humbling. But I want you to know, we've been talking about the prophets. And I talked last week about the fact that the prophet was one who would stand for God. You don't even have to open your mouth.
mouth sometimes. Somebody sees you behaving as a Christian ought to, and especially if you're known as a professional Christian. <laughs> now I think in the one sense we're all amateurs. We're still in the learning phase. I can and I do learn from you. The day I can't learn something, the day I don't have a teachable spirit, time for you to get a new preacher. And the day you stop having a teachable spirit, it's time for the Lord to take you to the woodshed. Somebody said, the preacher needs to get a hold of that person. <laughs> if the Lord gets a hold, I'll feel sorry for you. The Lord gets a hold of you and convicts you about a thing. Even before he'd opened his mouth, there was a prophet who in King Ahab said, we talked about this not too long ago. Oh, you're the one that has been disturbing Israel. And he said, actually, it's not me, it's you. But I want to talk this morning a bit about the fact that not only was the prophet the one who would stand for God, but he had the awesome responsibility to speak for God. I know there have always been scoundrels who said they were speaking for God, and they weren't. They're just making up as they go. You might see them on TV. You might hear them on the radio. Someone might write a book. Somebody might have some wicked ulterior motive. But they're wrong. That's why we need to Try the spirits. This book is a pretty good guide. I don't know anything that comes close to tell you better how to discern what's right and what's wrong. We didn't read Matthew 7, but sometimes people quote Matthew 7. Jesus said, judge not. I'll tell you what. An awful lot of people doing a lot of bad stuff. They don't say, judge not. Judge not. And I think they think that that means you can't judge me. Well, in a real sense, no, I can't. I'm not your judge. The Lord is your judge. But yet, later in that same chapter, it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. How would you know who the swine are? We have to make assessments. And all we can go on Sometimes you can't even go on what somebody says, but what they do. Their actions do speak louder than words. That's why Jesus said to the people of his day, when those Pharisees get up and they spout off some stuff, do what they say. Don't do what they do, because they don't do what they say. But do what the Word says. Do what is pleasing to God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, it tells about a a situation where you've got a, a church arrangement and they're just too busy for Jesus. they got personalities and programs and procedures and policies. they got all this stuff going on, but somehow Jesus is on the outside. And the Lord says, if there's one when I stand at the door and knock, if you'll open and have me to come in, I will fellowship with you. 
Even if you were in a situation where you had no one else with which to fellowship. Even if you're in a situation you didn't even have God's Word. That's another reason why it's good to have it hidden in your heart. Because if I'm alive, even if I don't have a Bible, I'm rarely in a situation where I don't have a Bible close by. But even if I don't, I've got it in my head, I've got it in my heart. And that should be our watchword. What has the Lord said? And the prophets were the ones who would tell you, this is what God has said. These are the ways in which we should walk. May we always want to walk that way. So the prophet was the, if you will, the formal spokesman or ambassador. Go with me please to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now we need to understand that you don't just tell people things with your mouth. Yeah, God did give you a mouth. But He gave you time, He gave you talents, He gave you opportunities. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at the first three verses. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? No, we don't need a piece of paper. You know, if I'm introduced to somebody, I might say, here's my card. So they had to contact me. They know where I'm coming from, that sort of thing. But I don't think if I showed up at Brother Den's house tomorrow, hi, remember me? I'm Steve Rains. I go to your church. You'd say, uh, Brother Rains, uh, we've known each other a lot. Yeah? And I doubt he'd show up at my house and say, I'm Dan Youngblood. Uh, I live over in Oklahoma, but uh, I come over here from time to time and just like to talk with you. Well, I'd love to talk with Dad. I'd love to talk with God's people. But when I know you, and you know me, those formalities and frivolities sometimes might just seem to get in the way. I think that's part of what Paul's talking about here. He says, we don't really need to get back to the basics and talk to each other like we're strangers just meeting for the first time. And so it is what are we with people? Family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, whoever it might happen to be. There ought to be something about God's people where people can tell they're a Christian. I think I've told you about this. A man was working in an office and he says, well, I'm not going to grab people by the lapels and talk about the Lord. I'm just going to live a certain life. And they'll be able to tell from the way I live and love that I'm one of the Lord's people. And so he made it his purpose not to even mention the Lord. He had a Bible, but it's in his desk. He didn't want it out to kind of show his hand. And finally, after a couple of weeks, one of the new guys came up to him and said, I've been watching you. There's something different about you. What is it? He says, you're a vegetarian. What message do we give? 
with our lives. Paul said in the second verse, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. What had Paul invested in the Corinthian brethren? It was obvious because they lived that way. They thought that way. Their thought patterns. As so many of you, I am so thankful for Brother Orville Yee, whose life portrayed his conviction that God spoke the truth. And he lived that way. And he encouraged by the example that he set, even if he didn't give a formal exhortation about it. And, uh, you know, some preachers they get kind of nervous about who their predecessor was. Oh, it tickles me when somebody says, you know, this is what Brother Heath would say. This is what Brother Heath would do. Because he was a good example. The only tough thing for me is it, it's hard to even try to fill such shoes. And I'm not trying to be a filler of shoes in every sense, but there's a pattern that's been set, and that's good. We have here a teachable spirit church, but we don't have a hole in our head. We have an open mind, but not a hole in our head about things. And when Paul writes to these people who had not met Paul, if they'd been in the Corinth church, they knew something of Paul's mind, Paul's heart, Paul's way. It was just as if they'd met him. I was in a conference in another state, in another century. And there was a brother who'd been dead years before I even moved in that circle. But he had a son. And the son got up to preach. And he did a great job. And the two preachers in front of me, they knew the dad. And one nudged the other and says, Can you see, brother, so-and-so? See the father? Because the father held the line, taught and lived the truth. And it was the same way with the son. Like one of my friends likes to say, that's a good thing. For as much as you're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. We got it from the Lord. The Lord gave it to us. We were faithful to pass it on to you. And you are still with the program. You are still living as you ought. Thinking and talking as you ought. Feeling as you ought. Keep up the good work, in other words. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. You know, sometimes a guy get an idea. That's great. You should write that and put it in a book. And he writes it down and puts it in a book and people buy the book and they put it on the shelf and that's the end of it. You know, Brother Zones, you know, I got his book. Have you ever read it? Well, no, but I've got the book. doesn't do a whole lot of good. I had a sign in my office in Conway that said, quoted Mark Twain, he's the people who don't read have no advantage over those who cannot read. God has spoken and we need to read it. Because a closed Bible is no threat to the devil, doesn't challenge the world, and doesn't feed us. Open it up. Take it in. 
written out of evil with the spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. God has spoken to your heart. I'm just a messenger. I'm just an errand boy. I'm just a spokesman. That's what the prophets were. They spoke for God. Now the true prophets spoke volumes with their lives. That's why the Lord did say in the 23rd of Matthew, those Pharisees, they know what to say. They can read a script. It's just, you're not gotten from the mouth, the lip, down to the heart, down to the feet, down to the hands. You can tell me all day how devoted a Christian you are with your mouth. I wish we were more conscientious of showing with our lives. I'm not talking to one person. I'm talking to this person and all the rest of us here. Abel was slain in the field. Not at the altar. Do you know that? He was where his sinner brother was, talking, trying to encourage him. And what did he get for it? Well, some would say, yeah, he got he got dead, got left in the field, bled, bled out, and that was it. And yet the book of Hebrews says, he being dead yet speaketh. The life that he lived, the words that he spoke. They haunted It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that Noah, he preached with his mouth, but he preached with his hammer. He would, with his tongue and with his tools, for a long period of time, some say up to all 120 of those years, he was building that ark. He feared God. He cared for his family. And he would preach by his actions and he would preach with his words as well. And even though there wasn't an overwhelming congregation, he had a congregation of seven folks and they were all in folks. And those were the folks that he saw go in the ark and then he went in, the Lord shut the door. The world would say, what a failure. What kind of a preacher. What sort of an outreach did he have? He did what he could and the Lord blessed as he was pleased to bless. James 5 says, we look to the prophets as an example of endurance. They were in a tight and they kept on, they kept on, they kept on. There was a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. God ordained him a prophet before he was born while he's still in the womb. God told Jeremiah, when you get up to speak, they're not always going to be smiling at you. They're not always going to be jumping and saying, Amen, Hallelujah, praise God. No. Sometimes they just stay. You've seen the smiley face, you know, and then sometimes you see the frowny face, and sometimes you see the straight line face, just no emotion whatsoever. Those are people, people that have souls, people that we pray that the Lord will save, will energize, 
that they'll be part of the solution, not just on a roll someplace, not just cannon fodder or something like that. No, real living people called to serve the Lord. It's not too often these days we hear people sing songs like, I'm a Christian soldier marching for the cause of Christ. No, we just want to chill out. We just want to be groovy with Jesus or whatever they're saying these days. And so here was Jeremiah. And the Lord says, don't be afraid of their faces. When I first started preaching, I think Marshall's the only one who knows this. Somebody came up to me when I was just a kid when I started preaching. And somebody came up and said, when you preach, you stare right at me. The whole sermon, you just stare at me. You got a problem with me? And I got to thinking, well, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm scared. Making them feel so So here was my solution. I'd get up and say hello, and I'd announce my text, and I'd look out the window. And I'd preach the whole sermon. I'd look at my text, look out the window, look at my text, look at my window. I got away with that for a while. But somebody said, is there something out the window you're looking at? <laughs> Why do you do that? Well, I, I don't want people to... You know what? Sometimes I'm out there in the congregation. And if the speaker gets up and looks out the window, what is his problem anyway? Once in a while I can look at me. He would have to stare the hole. 45-minute sermon. Tucker. Anyone else would probably get kind of kind of fidgy, huh? I go to that church and the preacher preaches to be like I'm the only one there. Well, in a sense, you should think that you're the only one there because the Lord laid it upon his heart to say what he did. And sometimes the things that blesses people, the things I don't really have in my notes anyway. The Lord's a lot smarter than I am on stuff like that. But Jeremiah, he preached, and he preached, and he preached, and the people just jump right. Sure, whatever you say. Let him say his little bit, and we'll get on and do what's really important. And Jeremiah said, I'm just fed up. I'm going to quit. And the 20th of Jeremiah says, he said, Lord, they don't want to hear it. Anymore. It's no fun. I knew a preacher went to a church and he said, I'll stay here as long as it's fun. He didn't stay long. Something wrong there. We ought to be for a long haul. Well, the 20th of Jeremiah, he told the Lord flat out, they don't want to hear it anyway. I don't want to give this message. I'm just going to shut up. But you know what? There are some who could do that and get away with this. I think the closest thing and not be a preacher is a teacher. 
Because if you're a teacher, and you have students, you're going to teach them. It just, it just comes out. I married a teacher. And she misses the classroom five days a week. And she taught kindergarten. And sometimes she looks at me and I know she's about to say, now boys and girls. <laughs> That's her! It's not just a job. It's a calling. That's one thing about mothers. They raise their children. And sometimes it's hard for mamas to forget. My mom was always reminding me and Randy and baby brother Jeff. And Jeff got worse because he was the youngest. Mom would say, oh Jeff, one of your little friends going to come over? Mom, I'm 22 years old. <laughs> and all our friends are taller than you. Well, you'll always be my baby. And then their kids grow up and the kids bring grandkids around. And they don't say, I'm a mama, I'm not a grandma. I said no real grandma ever, as far as I know. Because they love. It's not just because they're getting a paycheck or getting a picture taken. No, it's all the time. And with a, with a God-called preacher, they just got And so Jeremiah said, I'm going to go and shut up. I'm sick and tired of this. And he tried that for a while. But you read that 20th chapter and it tells you, I think it's the ninth verse, that the word of the Lord was in me like a fire in my bones. I couldn't keep quiet. Maybe that doesn't mean much to you. It means a lot to me. Maybe there's something that you just feel, I do this, I, and then maybe, I really love this. Somebody say you find a, a job you love and do it and you'll never work a day in your life. That sounded kind of strange when I was a kiddo, but makes more and more sense. Now, the prophets spoke with their lives, but when they would open their mouths and speak, now I'm talking about the, the true prophets. I'm not talking about the scoundrels like Balaam or someone like that. Go with me, please, to 2 Peter, chapter 1. Verse 21. Last verse in the first chapter of 2 Peter. When the prophets would speak, they get up and say, The word of the Lord that came unto me. And hopefully God's people said, I need to listen to this. This is what God is saying. He's using that man, but it's as if God is standing right in front of me. Rebecca told me she was at a service once. And somebody says, I'd listen if God, if I could hear God's word. <laughs> the preacher goes, okay, fine. Turn to and he called up a passage. And he read it out loud. Said, now are you listening? This is what God said. I'm, I'm just the reader. But this is what God said. The words given of God. 
The inspiration is not in the preacher. A preacher come and go. They live and they die. But the Word of God lives on forever. It's the Word that is inspired. It's breathed of God. Meaning no disrespect when we use the expression straight from the horse's mouth. This is what God has said. David said in Psalm 45.1, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. No pen or pencil I've ever taken in my fingers is a. I don't want to write that. Oh, it writes what I want it to write. If the words are spelled wrong, I can't blame the pen. And God is the speaker. And that's why we need to pay attention. Whether it's me or anybody else, we're handling God's word. For the prophecy came not at old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The illustration is that of a boat with a sail. And when the wind would blow, the boat would go. If the wind stops, the boat would stop. That's why sometimes the prophets would get up and speak, and people said, go on! That's all I've got. Mr. Spurgeon, who was known for preaching much longer than we're used to today, one Sunday he got in the pulpit, and just as he stepped up, he got definitely quiet. He said, folks, the Lord taken loose of the reins. He didn't mean this kind of reins. And I have nothing to say. Now some people, we get out of church early today. But Spurgeon had a clear message from the Lord that nothing to say. I don't know what the Lord's purpose was in that. And I don't know that Spurgeon ever said anything more about that. But he had the wisdom to know thus far and no further. But when the Lord does give a message, and sometimes they had to speak to a disinterested and disbelieving people, and that's why we refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. He knew that only a remnant were actually what we would call saved people. Only a remnant, only a handful were actually going to, a lot of them were going to die. A lot of them were going to have, spiritually speaking, stinky lives that were no credit to God. It broke his heart. That's why we call him the weeping prophet. In fact, a Jeremiad in our language, that means something that people say, they're so sad. We call it a Jeremiad. In fact, the very book right after, the book that bears Jeremiah's name is Lamentations. He was lamenting. He was going to say, Woo everything came out great for me. No. It was a time of sorrow. 
God was pleased to use me as a tool, but not for great numbers, not for glory for me. The Lord had his reason in doing what he did. It's like Job. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That needs to be where we end up. The wise man Solomon in the book we call The Preacher sometimes. He says in Ecclesiastes, better is the end than the beginning. He also says it's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of laughter. Better to be moved to tears than the laugh, the laugh of the fool. I mentioned there were some funerals of people. I need to go to a funeral once in a while. Even if it's not somebody I know. I need to be moved. I need to be reminded. The oldest of the Psalms probably wasn't the one, one of the ones written by David. But probably the one credited to Moses. Psalm 90. We have to consider our day. Number them. Think about the fact that we have but limited time, limited opportunities. I'll tell you, old Jeremiah, they put him in the stocks, they dumped him in a dungeon, <coughs> a miry pit. They gave him pretty dirty. Of course, long after the prophets were dead and buried, they built tremendous monuments to honor their memory. Really? That's the way the Jews were. That's the way the weak folks are. Now I want you to know that Jesus reminded his disciples. You know, he, we saw already that he pointed out a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. People don't know what they've got until they're gone. I'll tell you this. I think you folks here know how precious Brother Orville Heath is. But I strongly suspect that if the Lord were to take him home and we're still witness to it, I strongly suspect there'll be some people say, you know, I, I didn't realize how much he did. How much he did. How he prayed and worked and encouraged me. We heard Robert G. Lee. I'm not old enough to remember Robert E. But Robert G. Lee. And as he was introduced once, he stepped up and he says, those words are appreciated a lot more than words on the caskets. And it made me realize, if you're going to say something to somebody, if you let somebody know how much they mean to you, better to say it while they're still alive. It'd be a shame if you have to lose them to recall. Look at me, please, in the 24th of Luke. This is Jesus. He had a congregation of two. We know the name of one of them. His name was Cleopas. And he'd been walking and he'd been talking. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. And he had an opportunity. He even though there's just the two. So they're walking on the Emmaus Road. And they're thinking about how disappointed they were. They thought this Jesus guy was going to really be 
the solution to their problems. Well, he was, but they didn't feel that way. They didn't have appreciation of that. And so they're going along. Look at verse 25 through 27. He's talking to Cleopas and his buddy, fellow travelers. Then he said to the old fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, they thought, well, the, the anointed one, he's going to come and everybody's just going to bow and scrape and honor him. And No, that's not what the prophets said, and that's not what he experienced. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Yes, the crown was down there, but first came the cross. And by his example and by his words, Jesus said that back then and it's written down. We can read it today. You want to be known as the Lord's man or woman, boy or girl? You want the crown? Everyone wants the crown. They want the goodies. They want the recognition. You know what comes first? The cross. That's why it's part of my job to encourage you to understand how important it is to get serious about the Lord. I'm not talking about a little sprinkling of Christianity and say amen once in a while and wear a cross or something. No. I'm talking about 24-7 living for Christ. All the time. You want the crown! What about the cross? We have a cross to bear. Not for our glory. It humbles us. It gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us an appreciation of what the Lord went through. He said, you think they're going to make you a hero? No, they're going to make you a zero. You see what they do to me? And you will see what they're going to do to me. Don't think you're better than that. You want to call yourself a Christian? Think like Christ. Act like Christ. That's why after he, after he said that, Look at verse 7. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He had a whole, what we call the Old Testament, to use as his text. He expounded on them in all the scriptures. You know what's talking about? Talking about him. I saw a sign not long ago. You understand the Bible? Come to the seminar. We'll tell you all about Israel. Somebody else. We understand what the Bible's all about? We'll tell you all about this aspect or something else. One was going to talk about all about the angels. Listen, you want to understand the Bible, you look to Christ. You listen to Christ. Amen. You follow the example of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I don't like what so and so said. I don't like what they did. I'm just gonna <laughs> Would Jesus do that? Well, I don't care what that's the problem. If you don't care what Jesus said, if you don't care what Jesus did don't insult the Lord and people's intelligence and say, I'm a Christian. Now the word, the word but always gets my attention. I'm a Christian, but because they're probably going to deny that by what they're going to say. So that's why we start with the word. We go through the word. Earl Smith said a guy came up to him once and he said, you sure quote a lot of scriptures. 
a lot of life coded and quoted, but I want to have Bible for what I'm saying because I know I'm on safe ground there. That's why Jesus in John 5, 39 said, Search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of me. So I preach Jesus. Well, do it. Start in Genesis. Go all the way to Revelation. And anything in between. It's Christ exalted. If I or anybody else gets up and says, I'm going to teach, I'm going to preach, and has nothing to do with the Lord, I shouldn't waste my time. And you shouldn't waste your time listening. It all keys into the Lord. He is the one who causes it to make any and all sense. We begin with Him, we end with Him. You say, we've well, been talking about the prophets a lot. Well, there was a good, a great, the greatest of all prophets. And that's Christ. He knew the human heart. He knew the human condition. He knew the past and the present and the future. Lord willing, I want to keep talking about the prophets. Because there were some good ones. And there were some stingers. And then we'll save the best for last. But for now, let's stand up.